Baseball America playoff podcast. We are rolling along as the LDS series, the league division series have gotten going yesterday. We had a cavalcade of baseball, four games Two, I would say that were, well, one that was utterly compelling one that got really interesting and two that were solid, but will not go down as all timers. But so we're going to spend time talking about all four of them, but Jeff, I, I think, if we say which game from yesterday will we remember a month from now, it's got a pretty easy answer, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the uh, it's the Jordan game. You know, the <laughs> the eight uh, seven victory for the Astros last night over uh, the Mariners, and uh, yeah, I mean, just from a standpoint of just drama, um, it's funny because there wasn't a ton really until the eighth inning, um, you know, they were down by five runs heading into the, you know, heading, heading into the bottom of the seventh, um, put up two against Munoz and then get three, et cetera, uh, in that final inning. And, you know, they come back from a five run deficit against a good team. And, you know, the momentum shift within five to six at bats, honestly, was like tremendous. It, It, it was almost like, you know, all the momentum was in one cup. And then just with those five at bats, it just poured all the momentum into the other cup. It's it, it what a what a shift in in momentum and fortune there. Um, we could certainly dig into some of the decisions toward the end of the game. Um, there's no good decision. First thing I'll say is there's no good decision when you have to pitch to Jordan Alvarez, really. Right. <laughs> yes, that, that is absolutely true. We're in complete agreement. Jordan Alvarez is one of the best hitters in baseball. He's been one of the best hitters for several years now. And yes, that's that you're there is no good. But before we get to that one, to back it up a minute, if you're the Mariners, you're facing Justin Verlander. And, and we we've seen here, I do like having all four division series games start on a Tuesday where in every case, yes, we do have the rustiness that comes with having not played for a while, but the flip side of it is, is in every one of these cases, essentially you had the team that got the buy sending an ACE on the mound against a team that in most cases, now the Mariners, this is one of their weapons is that, their number three or four starter is not a whole lot of drop off from their number one. And I would actually say, if you think of Robbie Ray as their number two might be better than their number two. And we'll get to that, but, but you have Logan Gilbert going against Justin Verlander. That should be advantage Astros and Verlander exits the game, having allowed six runs in four innings. And the Astros are sitting there with a, at the time, a a pretty significant, you know, it was, when he left, it's it's six two. Gilbert gives up another run, so then it becomes six three. But Logan Gilbert, Justin Verlander, the starters get out of the game, and you've got a three run lead after facing Verlander. You you're playing with house money, you feel like, and it is amazing, especially in that park. Park plays a part of this too. A couple of swings, and all of a sudden, it can flip, and that's what we saw. Like. I, it didn't even feel like it's six, three. I don't know about you, but it did not feel like that. That was like, Oh, this is that, that three runs felt very different 
than when the Guardians were down three runs in the Yankees game. When you look at the the differences in the offenses. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I think when you, as you said, you, you look at the Astros, you look at the fact that these are incredibly polished professional hitters. Um, and I thought later in the game that played, you know, a major part. Now, they're also playoff veterans. They're experienced, you know, to draw a comparison from another sport. It's almost like, you know, when you were playing the Patriots back when they had Brady and it's like they always seem to be ghosts for teams that were coming into Foxborough or whatever. We're trying, you know, or, you know, we saw it in the Super Bowl, right? It's like teams like that that have that kind of experience, they don't get tight. They're loose, man. They're just waiting for that opportunity to attack. They certainly did that. And I think, as you said, you know, that's the difference between when a team like the Astros are down on the, the other side, probably even the Dodgers or the Braves um, versus versus some of these other teams that are a little bit younger, have a little bit less experience. Um, you know, I will say that I think, you know, Mariners were playing pretty high until those last couple of innings. And then things just really dramatically changed. But you were get you got a, a big hit from, you know, the top of the order was really mashing. You know, Julio went two for four, scored three runs, got on base, what, four times? I mean, three times. Oh. Um, France, As- and Eugenio Suarez, you know, had a had a, had a big homer. Um, it's, you know, it, it seemed like things were all sort of rolling in the right direction. It's like, hey, our guys are hitting. We're playing good team defense. They're making good plays in the field. Um, and then I think they just got I, – I honestly think they got a little cute at times with the relief pitching late in the game. Okay, so let's take it through. That's, to me, the key part of this, which is – so they pulled Gilbert after five and a third, which shake his hand, relations, well mm-hmm. done. Brash comes in, then Castillo, you know, it. they, they get through the next two. Arnie Munoz gives up a homer to Breckman. So the game gets closer, right? Like, but so far – we're kind of tracking normal for what the Mariners are going to do in a game like this, right? So they hand it over to Paul Seawald for the for the ninth. And and I didn't think I, I I want to ask you, I didn't feel like that he looked like he was in real trouble. It didn't look like he hit a batter, gave up a single, got a couple of outs. I didn't feel like it was something where this was a guy who clearly didn't have it. Yeah, and, and I'll say when he hit a batter, it, it wasn't like he threw behind him. You know, it was something that slipped a little bit. I didn't think it was a bad uh, – he had struck out Altuve on a couple of high fastballs they had bat before uh, Pena. Uh, you know, it was after Hensley had gotten hit and gotten on. I, I, I really felt like, all right, this guy has this difficult angle. This is why you keep this guy in here. He's going to limit hard contact. I see Robbie Ray in the bullpen, and – you know, I understand Ray's got unbelievable stuff. The guy won a Cy Young last year. They signed him to a big contract. I understand the mentality there, but I think if you just take a step back and you think about who Robbie Ray is, um, his purchase for giving up hard contact consistently, and this has been back to when he was with the Tigers. This isn't even new. This guy gives up hard contact. He gives up homers. Um, and I, Cy Young winner. With that, the other part in that. Can I can I just interject? Yeah, sure. When he won the Cy Young in 2021, he gave up 33 homers. There you go. <laughs> like, he gives up hard contact. And let's go a step further. If you just looking at looked at the numbers on face value, 
and what Jordan Alvarez does against left-handed pitching, he's not your typical left-on-left matchup. This guy hits lefties extremely well. And if you look at the type of pitches from left-handed pitchers that Ray was throwing, it may, I don't understand. You had a, a first base open. You could have had four outs at every out. There were two outs in this situation. Alvarez is what a twenty runner, twenty five runner. <laughs> yeah, he's a little better than that. He, okay. He's a little better. But he, than that, but, but he's not. He's not. He's not a, he's some, not a speedster. He's he's not exactly. He's not going to stop you from making a play at second base. You know, even with two outs and running on contact, it's like not going to be an issue. I didn't understand it. I understand Alex Bregman was hitting. I understand Alex Bregman hits righties well. I still think when you look at Paul Seawall, this is a guy that had about a 130 batting average against right-handed hitters this year because of his slot, because of his release height. That's where his stuff really plays up the most. Let you let your man, you know, let he used to say let Russ cook, right? When he was there playing football in Seattle. Let Paul Seawall cook, man. Let him do his thing. There was no reason to pull that guy after what three batters, four batters. Get come on, man. Like keep him in the game. You could have walked somebody on first if you don't want to pitch to Alvarez. I get it. He's a top five hitter. Big moment. And then go after Bregman. You know, like, I, I, I don't get it. Is it being scared of the Crawford boxes and a right-handed hitter? Uh, it really didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then, like, people were talking about bringing in Swanson, this and that. I just don't understand why they had to bring in Robbie Ray when this is not a role he's ever been comfortable with it before. Like, stay, I'm going to bring the guy with the best stuff. Fine. But still didn't make the most sense to me. And the thing to me that really made this the most baffling is, is Jordan Alvarez. There are left-handed hitters who are absolutely helpless against the lefty, where the platoon split is so different that it's like, I don't care if you're bringing in a lesser pitcher. Now, the problem now is, is the three batter rule also. Like, it's something where you can't play matchups like you did before. But if, but again, there are two outs. You are pretty much saying if you get Jordan Alvarez out, the game's over. But Jordan Alvarez is not a hitter who's like, oh no, a lefty is on the mound. For his career, as a right-handed hitter, again, sorry, against right-handed pitchers, 292 batting average, 386 OBP, 594 slug. Against lefties for his career, 303 batting average, 381 OBP, 582 slug. He's the same hitter. I went back and looked at it and said, okay, what about this year? Same hitter. This is a guy who's like, I don't care if you put a lefty on the mound. I don't care if you put a righty on the mound. I hit them all. And what you just said, if it was something where it was like we have – the Mariners are, are a team that went the whole season not relying – the Astros have long been this way. They're not worried about lefty-righty matchups with mm-hmm. their relievers as much as they want to have right-handed relievers – who can get lefties out that yeah. has worked for them this year. And it is strange that they kind of got away from, they got a little cute there in some ways. Now, Hey, it's Jordan Alvarez. We're talking about this a lot. It's also very possible that they could have flipped the coin on this decision and Alvarez would still have hit it out. And we'd still be saying, you know what? Why didn't they go to Robbie Ray? I'll be the first to admit this, but I, the point that I'm just making is, is I don't see some massive advantage that you gained by bringing in the lefty no. and you were bringing in a lefty who is Homer prone and you were bringing in a lefty who this is not the normal role for Robbie Ray. This is not something where Robbie Ray says, yep, this is what I do. 
this is who I am. Sign me up. I'm ready to go because I love coming in and putting out fires. This is a guy who doesn't mm-hmm. been in relief. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, that's what's funny about it too, right? Because the mentality of a starter, like if you give up a couple of runs over, you know, six, seven innings in a start, you've done your job. Um, so it's not about necessarily like trying to be perfect and executing and just making sure that nobody can barrel you up over those 20 to 30 pitches you throw like a Craig Kimbrell or something, you know, like it looked like he was going to come in and just be throwing stuff out of his zone that nobody could hit and would have to chase on him. It's not that it's not that kind of a situation. So I just, I, I just really, I struggle with a few things and even started in the eighth inning, some of the sequencing with Munoz, like I get you throw 102 miles an hour, dude, but throwing your fastball over and over and over again to a guy who's been playing professional baseball like Yuli Gurriel has for 20 years. I don't care how hard you throw. That dude's going to figure it out and he's going to catch up to you. And that's exactly what happened. And it had happened in the previous at bat um, when he was throwing, um, um, forgetting who who was hitting in front of Yuli, but he's throwing all sliders. And it was the same situation. Was it... Um, and somebody jumped on the sliders and Pena was Pena was, right Pena was hitting uh, ahead of Yuli. Pena was hitting. It was Altuve Pena. I'm sorry, Altuve Pena Alvarez. Sorry, it was Tucker ahead of Yuli. Tucker ahead of Yuli. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 So it was Tucker that struck out. Um, it was. Oh, it was Bregman that they were throwing on the sliders too because he hit the homer um, earlier in that bat with Alvarez on. So that's what I meant. And it was like he was just like he wasn't missing anything up, you know. Um, so it's like he'd get a guy in like a two strike count and then like immediately <laughs> go back to the same pitch again. It's like, this is the Astros, man. You're, you might be able to do that with the athletics. You're, you're not going to be able to do that with these Astros, you know, and especially the veteran hitters that we're trying to do it against. So I have some questions just about the bullpen, how they're going to handle it. Um, I thought they tried to play matchups and got too cute. You know, they had too many guys that they didn't go deep enough with. And, you know, I think that, Often you can lose the first game on the scoreboard, um, but you can also lose it just in terms of the matchup game. And I really thought that when they pulled the Ray thing, some of the, some of the faith they didn't show in their relievers put them into a situation where going into game two, they have to manage their bullpen differently. And, you know, I, I think that that's sort of the game within the game here in these series for these managers is how are they, how much flexibility are they leaving themselves from game to game? And I, I just don't feel like the Mariners did a good job of that. The one other thing that does stand out of that game is kind of a little hidden thing was the fact that they had that earlier on in the game where, where the, the Mariners were kind of, they were never going to be putting this game away at this point, but they had that sinned against Verlander late in the uh, in fourth inning where mm-hmm. we, we just talked about left field is not very deep in, in, in Houston and Alvarez, not the greatest left field in the world. I'm not saying he is, you know, but at the same time, he does have a good arm. Ty France thrown out by a pretty significant margin. Again, I don't mind. It's not like it was horrible. It's an aggressive send. Uh, and you're trying to get that other run. There are two outs, all those things. It did require an on-target throw, but it is one where they had a runner thrown out at home 
in a game where one more run could have been very vital for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I, I do think with all of this though, the the tricky part of this is is if you're Seattle, you had a chance to steal one against a superior team. I think there's no question here that the Astros are the better team mm-hmm. and they had a chance to steal one. If you steal one in a five game series, all of a sudden it flips. Instead, now you have to try to figure out a way to win three of four against a superior team. That's going to be tough. That was the most compelling game of the day. I will say that the Braves Phillies game is one that, that seemed at one point that it was going to be the biggest blowout of the day. And it ended up being maybe the second most compelling game of the day. Um, Obviously the Phillies to their credit jumped all over Max Fried and and much what we talked about with the, uh, the the Mariners Astros game. When you get, when you're facing Max Fried in game one and you knock him out, giving six runs, four earned against him in three and a third, that's a massive win. But to the Braves credit, you, you took a game that was at one point seven to one and it required noted defensive specialist Nick Castellanos in right field making a diving catch to kind of uh, assure the the victory uh, at the end of the day in a 7-6 win. The thing that stood out about this game, I, I think I tweeted about it at the time, was Philadelphia still got the win. The key thing for Atlanta was is that on a bad day for Atlanta, they forced the Phillies to use the good part of what is mm. probably one of the thinnest pens of all the, the bullpens in the, in the postseason, they required them to use Alvarado. They required them to use Sir Anthony Dominguez. They were required them to use Zach Eflin. They, they, they had to use their best guys, which is probably, uh, you know, it could come back to be yes. beneficial for Atlanta. Yeah. I think that's the game within the game. That, that was the, that was the W you know, on the field for Philadelphia, but sort of behind the scenes win for Atlanta was getting them to use six relievers, getting them to use a lot of their matchup guys and guys with bigger stuff like Bogdan, Alvarado, et cetera, um, obviously Dominguez. So this is the compelling part of this series because lineup wise, you know, Philly, if everything is clicking, you know, their top, you know, seven in that order is as good as anybody in these playoffs, you know, from, from one to seven, just really and truly, if all those guys are hitting, this is a good lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, the, their starting pitching is excellent. I mean, they have as good a starters from the top down, you know, uh, as anybody, but the issue is the depth of the pitching staff and definitely the bullpen. This is the worst bullpen I think in the playoffs. And I don't think I'm necessarily stating anything that's, you know, <laughs> off the wall um so this is going to be a consistent part of this series is you know philly's starting pitching potentially shutting down the braves and then the braves coming back later in these games against a very bad uh frankly philly's bullpen that has already been used and taxed a little bit and these six guys yesterday to get out of that game and you know they led by what um five seven to one one seven to one Seven to one. Yeah. Yeah. So So, I I think that's, that's sort of the W you can take away as a Braves fan. It's like, Hey, we got to their bullpen. We still battled when they had their best game. 
you know, let's see what happens game two. But the key W here, though, for the Phillies is, is that you have a game where Ranger Suarez went up against Max Freed. You're coming off of a wild card series and you still manage to get a W in game one, which again, <laughs> it's a five game series, five game series. There, there's not a lot of time to, to turn things around. If you're the Phillies, this is even with using the entirety of actually of their bullpen to get through it. This is the dream scenario because now the pitching matchup, the starting pitching matchups start to become more favorable. This is one of the, this is one of the series that does come back to play again today. We have the off day in the American league. We have the day game. We have the, the, the Phillies Braves having a day game again today, but I, I do think if the Braves win game one of this series, I feel like that the Braves are the pretty significant favorites to win this series. Now it flips it. The Braves are the better team over the course of the season. I don't think there's it's not just wins and losses. I think you could look, you know, even beyond that and say that they are the better team. But that said, it's a short series. Short series can turn very quickly. And and I do look at this now that the Braves are in the, the Braves are obviously in some manner of trouble. They have to get the win today. If they don't get the win today, it's really hard to imagine them winning the series. And that's a great position for the Phillies to be in. We're going to head to the night games from yesterday in just a minute. But first, we have a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. The night games, neither of them as gripping as the day games. We did have situations where, okay, tying runs came to the plate. But in both cases, the the Yankees jumped out on the Guardians relatively early and then just kind kind of hung on. And Jeff, the thing I'll ask with that game is we saw a Rays guardian series where the guardians got just enough offense to get, to go with their pitching and defense. When I come out of yesterday's game, asking the question of is, do they have enough offense to really kind of hang with the Yankees in the series? And, and I asked that saying, I probably don't think they do. 
Against Garrett Cole, they definitely didn't. Um, Cole pitched pretty well last night. Um, you know, I don't think they saw an arm necessarily of that quality. I mean, it's, you know, one of the top three, four pitchers in the game, maybe close, but I wonder, you know, I wonder if later in this, if, if these next few games, um, when they're not facing Garrett Cole, if they will be able to make more contact, um, that's what this team does well. You know, I, I, I had a sneaking suspicion that they maybe could be a potential upset upset candidate when we did the preview before this round. And I think a lot of it was just how good they are and, and situational um, or just, just executing situational baseball. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of guys here who can change the game consistently with a swing, you know, with a single swing of the bat. Um, we saw it with Gonzalez. Certainly, Ramirez is capable of it. Naylor has his moments, but overall, that's not what you expect. We got the is the Stephen Kwan home run last night, um, and I was kind of wondering if maybe these guys would, you know, take advantage of uh, right field in Yankee Stadium and, um, you know, get a couple of those lucky home runs. But you can't bank on that, and I think it's a it's it's a legitimate question. You know, they're they're not going to allow a lot of runs, but you got to be able to score four runs uh, in the playoffs in order to, to get a win, regardless of how good your defense and pitching is, you know, you, you have to assume that just the way things shake out, you're probably going to give up three runs. I don't know if they can score four runs consistently. I'm like, sure. Okay. Um, we have well, a situation, you know, we have a situation where, uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I was going to throw a stat for you. So guess yeah. how many runs they have. Guess how many runs they have, you know, <laughs> Think back. This is a team that uh, is just not scoring runs. I, I don't know another way to put it. Like they're yeah. they're getting great pitching, but they have four runs so far. So yeah, I mean, it's like four in a that, game is going to be really yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, there there could be a point where you know the floodgates open a little bit, but not against this Yankees bullpen. You know, even without. You know, F Ross and, you know, we know that Raldis was left off as uh, two. I, I, there's still so many arms. They're so good at sort of stockpiling these relievers that uh, they can lose a couple of guys like this and still have a tremendous bullpen. Um, so I really think it's, you know, whoever gets to three runs, four runs in this series is probably going to win each game. So, uh, and there's a less of a, there's less of a possibility regardless of how good they're pitching in defense is the guardians getting there so right um, it's unfortunate but, but you need someone to get hot <laughs> that that's one swing for stanton one swing for judge one swing for rizzo can kind of do that there's just not as many guys on that on that guardians team the other thing that just stood out to me from that game is and i'm not this is this is not like trying to be utterly critical about this but Bob Costas is back doing uh, you know, play-by-play for the first time in a long time, and that's kind of cool. Uh, Bob Costas is one of the all-time greats when it comes to baseball broadcasters. I don't think there's really much of a question on that. But, but last night was not great. I mean, last night was things like not knowing, thinking that there's an international draft when talking about Jose Ramirez, thinking that um, 
you know, it was notable that Jose Ramirez signed when he was a teenager because not really being aware that and thinking that that may have been a rule that was true at the time, but not being sure about what the rules are now. Those are, those are kind of core parts of understanding talent acquisition is, is part of the game. But the other thing is, is I, we're just seeing this with these national broadcasts. One thing I'm, I'm kind of asking as a, as a fan sitting at home watching them is please have watched the previous broadcasts. And I say that because I felt like if you watched game two, the 15 inning game, which I understand they had to empty their, their, their notebooks basically, as far as every story they had, but okay. We've now heard the, the Josh and Bo Naylor story and how Bo's got his name. I, I think in every game uh, so far that the guardians have played, like there are things where it's like, I, I feel like you're, if you're watching this as a hardcore fan, sometimes you're more, you're, you're kind of more locked in than you're getting on the broadcast. And it should be something where it's like, okay, you know what? They covered that story. They covered Jose Ramirez's contract extension on Saturday as well. Doesn't mean we can't touch on it, but we do need to have a different version of the story rather than the same story that we heard on Saturday. Um, these are, <laughs> these are things like this is the best. This is the postseason. These should be the best broadcast of the season. And sometimes I, I don't think they are, which is, can be a little bit frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I generally struggle um, when there's not enthusiasms on the broadcast for the games, I don't think we see that as much in other sports. You know, I, I, I don't not to say that there aren't NFL or, you know, NBA uh, uh, commentators and announcers who complain from time to time about current states of certain parts of their game. John Smoltz is like listening to a political commentator the way that he has an agenda the entire game. The entire game, every time I listen to him, it's just an agenda. And it's like, dude, you're a great player. There's so many things you could be more insightful on. I don't need your opinion on everything here. Even if you don't like it, just go away. Like that, that ruined parts of the game for me. Like it, it was, it was difficult to listen to. Like I have to mute the game. Cause I'm like, I, I don't need this. Like, for example, with, with A-Rod, like it, it, it always blows my mind that he he talks as if he was like Tony Kemp or something. Like he wasn't this this power hitter who hit 50 plus home runs and <laughs> looked to do damage every time that he came to the plate. But beyond that, it was even situational stuff that he was calling out, like um, at uh, uh, the end of uh, the Cardinals Philly series and, um, you know, come to the plate they get a couple guys up they you know they have an opportunity to to tie the game and there's someone on first it was uh you know Yachty had, had gotten a hit and they had pinch run for him i think it was denunzio it's one of their fastest runners and he's like oh they should it's two outs in the bottom of the ninth you have one out and your season's over and a rod wants them to send him to second base and i'm like dude get the ball in play there's two outs. He's running on contact. He's a good runner. There's just as good of a chance that he's going to get home to get, get from first to third as there is as he's going to get the, the second right now against Robuto. Give me a break. And and the, 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 the inning before that, I don't know if you recall, he actually said that someone got into a pickle with two outs on purpose. On purpose. It was mind-blowing. It was even just like, this is basic stuff that like I expect my little league coach to know, let alone... Uh, 
a Hall of Fame caliber hitter that I grew up watching that played baseball for 30 years. It's just that it's some of that disconnect. I, I feel like enthusiasm plus knowledge is lacking at times in the broadcast. And this isn't good coming off a season where baseball was so good and there were so many big stories. We should be promoting that. We should be promoting this game. We should be promoting about how good these players are um, and the pathways that they that they do come through. It's like, and, and, and let's be honest, when they, they tell the same stories all the time, there's 25 stories on every team. There's a bunch of stories in every single one of those teams. You don't have to go back to the same well all the time. Well, to, anyway, I do need to get to Dodgers, but I will say with that, like we saw this with Doug Glanville. What I want a, an analyst to do during a game, and he did this very well in game two of that wild card series, take me into the batter pitcher matchup. Take me into what the batter's trying to do. Take me into what the pitcher's trying to do. Take mm-hmm. me into the minutia of it because I'm watching the game because I care. And I thought Doug Glanville was a pitch ahead of where they were for much of that game. And that's just, that's what we want to see. I don't think we have to cover the Dodgers Padres too much here because the Dodgers just kind of jumped out and then kind of hung on their pen, which is probably the weakest part of their team did the job. Uh, The thing that just stands out from that game to me that you see with this Dodgers team, this is a Dodger team with very few weaknesses. And when we talk about just relentless lineups and dominating pitching, they've got the combo against a team that's really been built to try to be able to compete with them. But Mike Clevenger versus, you know, was, was just not up to that task yes, last year. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was more of the same, you know, I had talked to Kyle about this offline and it's just like, yep, this is, this is the same old Dodgers Padres series. And I mean, it was, it was five to nothing at one point and they had the bases loaded with Mookie up and he just missed one down the left field line. Like it, it, it could have easily been nine, nothing at that point. Um, but the Padres did good to get out of the inning and battled back. You know, they had a three run, um, you know, uh, fifth inning, against uh, Julio Urias and you know they they got they had a couple of opportunities where they they brought the tying run to the plate right um so I think for them that's a W they hung with them a little bit you gotta hope that some of their bats get hot they need Soto to just have such a huge series I think that's the only way that the the Padres win is if team plays well they pitch well they do all those things well they need Soto or somebody to step up last series it was Trent Grisham I feel like they could get Soto to come in here, have a couple of humongous games. It could really propel them forward. And I think it could get them believing. And I think that's the other thing that they're up against here. Um, you know, it's almost like the Red Sox prior to 2004. It's just they keep on going back against the Dodgers. They can never beat them. So it's sort of that little brother syndrome, I think, with, with the Padres a little bit. But you need something to get them over that hump. Well, and by the way, again, if the Padres do get knocked out even pretty quickly here, the problem you have is, is you are facing, this is a Dodgers team. They win the world series. This goes down as one of like a team that we could be talking about as an all-time team. You look at their regular season, you look at what they've done over previous seasons. You look at the, they've done this even with losing aces, you know, Walker Bueller is they lose Walker Bueller. It doesn't really matter all that. This is a great team. This is a truly great team. We have, so today, we will end it by saying we've got today, we've got Braves Phillies, we got Padres Dodgers again. Tomorrow we'll have the AL. 
two games today. I'm not going to even be upset about that. It's good to have it going to two games today because it, we, it was hard to keep track of, of both games going at the same time. We'll be back again tomorrow to wrap it up after two games rather than four. For Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.